This Breakfast with Ben's podcast on the Fans First Network brought to you by Gerger Construction. It's not too soon to start planning your dream deck. They build decks year-round, and they're booking into spring and summer 2024. Gerger Construction is a small burg business specializing in decks, pergolas, railings, and fencing. Fully insured, licensed, and now offering financing options. Go to GergerConstruction.com to get your free project estimate or to schedule your deck safety inspection today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is our final baseball podcast for 2023. Tim Benz with you here at Breakfast with Benz on the Fans First Network. Joined as I have been each and every week talking about the Pirates by our Pirates beat writer at Trip Live, Kevin Gorman. Kevin, what do you have on the agenda once the season wraps up against the Marlins on Sunday? Vacation? What do you do? Kick back, a little fallout for the next week? Uh, do you cover the playoffs? How are things looking for you? Yeah, I, I typically um, kind of monitor the Pirates for the week after in case there are any um, coaching changes or anything like that. Uh, I'll do kind of a season wrap for the following Sunday's paper, and then I take some time off until the baseball playoffs are over which is when free agency kicks in once the World Series ends. I believe it's the day after. And then um, after that, I, I do my you know Pirates A to Z series, which is something that we do with the Pirates and Penguins. And the Steelers, we do a two-a-day series because there's more players on their rosters. But I'll do a daily feature on every player on the 40-man roster, probably between you know early to mid-November through December. And so that kind of keeps me occupied. But uh, yeah, this, this is now the time after you know covering – the majority of the 162 game season, uh, this is the time to catch a little downtime and, get, and take some vacation time for me. When you do your A to Z, when you get to C for Cruz, what will you be <laughs> writing about? Well, I, I think the key is that you have to take into consideration what the Pirates have done, which right now looks like you know what is what are they 12, 13 game improvement um, from last season, and they did it with. O'Neill Cruz playing only nine games. So there's got to be some excitement for the idea that the Pirates next year could take the same lineup they have right at the same moment because the only player that they're losing from this current roster um, is Andrew McCutcheon if they don't re-sign him. So if they re-sign him, they bring back essentially everybody. Um, that you add What you have right now, and you add O'Neill Cruz, who could be your leadoff hitter, uh, he could slide down in the order, but they like him as a lead in the Leo spot. He could be your starting shortstop, could add a power bat uh, to your to your lineup and, and really solve several problems in one. So I, I think that's the key is, you know, how, what his offseason is going to be like um, and, and how he heals and, and whether he shows up. I think he took batting practice in Philadelphia the other day. And I know Justice De Los Santos of MLB.com went up into the third deck to see if Cruz could hit one up there and he found a baseball. And so he said, yeah, he hit one up. Yeah, here I, saw, I saw Greg Brown tweeting video of that, in fact. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we, 
we know that the guy still has power. It's more going to be more about his timing, and it's really going to be more about his range defensively, whether he can recover, recover from that injury and be able to play shortstop again. Because if he wasn't going to play shortstop, the most – the, the ideal position for him would be to move them to third base, but the Pirates have a guy I think should win the gold glove there and keep Brian Hayes, who's signed to a long-term contract. So that's out of the question. Um, you know, there's other positions you could put him at, but he's clearly not an outfielder. I, I think we saw them try to experiment with that. And O'Neill Cruz wants to play on the dirt. Uh, that That's his priority, and he looks lost in the outfield. So, you know, first base is always a position that, that is a possibility. Um but then you take away his arm strength. You know, this is a guy who has a cannon for an arm. So, you know, there, there's a lot of things you could do. But, I mean, right now, it, I think the Pirates would prefer to have O'Neill Cruz back at shortstop, especially if you can have, you know, one of the best defenders on the planet at third base and key Brian Hayes and a potential upgrade at second base, whether it's Leo Verpaguero or Nick Gonzalez or one of the other guys that have rotated through the middle infield this year uh, that could be playing there next to him. That could be a, you know, a good thing if they feel like you know, that they've got some young athletic guys to, to kind of take care of uh, you know, potential for his lateral quickness, maybe not to be as, as good as it was previously. So to your point about timing, and th- I've been thinking about this quite a bit because, like you said, there's reason to believe that you put your best player back into the lineup and a 13-win improvement could be significant. I, I don't want to say another 13 games, but you could build upon that significantly if you get back the same guy. I just think that one thing we have to caution is, in baseball, there's a big difference between a guy working himself back into game shape, and, and frankly, than in just about any other sport. Like, T.J. Watt, for instance, last year. The Steelers' defense got better in large part after the bye because he was there, but he still wasn't T.J. Watt. Um, you know, you see Chris Letang, we've seen that when he's come back. You see a 30-point-a-game basketball player, a 28-point-per-game basketball player. He comes back, and he's a 19-point-per-game guy. Like, you get a partial of the guy back, but maybe not the full guy, and that's good enough. The difference in baseball is if you aren't you, you're not a force multiplier by that point. You could be a negative because you're going 0 for 4 more often than you should be. You know, like there's there's that angle to it. Yeah, and this is a guy who's had strikeout problems. I mean, right. you know, last yeah. year had he played he played a full season, he was on pace to break the major league single season strikeout record. I mean, that that's that's an issue. He it's one that he seemed to resolve to some degree before the season ended, but I mean, you know, he's he's still very young in his career in that regard. Um the, the good news is that he's not trying to come back in midseason when everybody else is in form and he's out of form. Uh the bad news is he's he's missed almost an entire season. Um and the expectations are going to change. No, it's not like everybody's going to say, well, let's give him some grace period. He's going to have an off season where he's probably going to spend where other guys are getting downtime. He's probably going to be revving up while they're, while they're winding down. And so you would hope that coming into spring training that he'd be in a good position, but he also hasn't faced major league pitching once the season starts in almost a year at that point. And so that there's going to be adjustment period there, you know, just whether how much time, that that time off has affected him, whether it could be, uh, you know, good or bad. And, and the way it could be good is that he spent a lot of time maybe studying the game from a different angle. Instead of being up there in the batter's box, he's watching the game in the dugout with professional hitters who are maybe seeing the game and showing him some things. That's that's if he did it that way. And we don't know. I mean, that's that's the big thing is there's so many unknowns with O'Neill Cruz in terms of the potential, but 
I, I think the one thing that we saw was, you know, this is a guy who before the season had talked about being a 40, 40 guy. And, and when you think, Oh, wow, that, that sounds unrealistic. I mean, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. just became a 40-70 guy. And, and I don't think Cruz has that type of speed on the base pass where he's going to approach those numbers. I, I think it's more likely that he hits 40 home runs than he steals 40 bases. But just to have that type of threat on your team could be a game changer. And if O'Neill Cruz comes back and plays the way that he was late last season uh, and this Pirates team can maybe take another step forward, you you would think another 13 to 15 win improvement wouldn't be out of the question, which would put you in playoff contention if you're somewhere between 85 and 90 wins. That's that's a wild card spot right there, and that's a big jump for the Pirates to go from 62 wins in 2022 to say 85 wins in uh, 2024. That's the kind of progress the Pirates have been projecting for themselves is that they would eventually become a contender and they would do it mostly from building within. They're going to have to add some pitching in the offseason through free agency, maybe address first base. But a lot of this team is either under contract like Reynolds and Hayes or guys that are entering or in you know year two of arbitration like Keller and Bednar. Uh, and then you have a lot of these guys that are pre-arb. So you know when a lot of people say that I think their fear is from watching the Pirates, how they've operated in the past, and saying, well, the, this team, they're just going to trade everybody. I mean, Brian Reynolds has a limited no-trade clause. He, Brian Hayes has a very, very team-friendly contract. And then everybody else is locked up. These guys don't have anywhere to go. The Pirates could make some trades. If they do, it's going to be try to get to try to get better, not to dump salary. And so th- this is a team that has been built from within, whether it's through trades or through drafting and development. Uh, this is this is what Ben uh, Ben Charrington has projected that this is what they wanted to do, and now it's just a matter of whether they can actually win with the group that they've drafted, developed, and traded for. Kevin Gorman with us. What about the concern that because of the TV deal situation, those finances are going to come into play more than people expect? Well, I think that's where people think that they're going to add the payroll. And it very well could be if you figure if the Pirates payroll started this season around 70 million opening day uh, and you take about 25 million out of the free agent signings. Essentially, I, I, I subtract the five million that uh, Andrew McCutcheon, if you were to sign him to another one year deal for five million dollars or in that ballpark, you know, you have a sal- starting salary around 50 million. Now, you're going to have to factor in if Keller's going to make more money, if Bednar's going to make more money, that's going to go up. But that essentially gives you about, if you keep the payroll around the same, uh, that gives you about $20 million to spend in free agency and in arbitration. And so that could go out and get you a couple pitchers. You know, that, that might not fill every hole that you want, but you would hope that maybe some of the guys could come up through the system that if you sign two starting pitchers and maybe a reliever like you did last year uh, and, and maybe a first baseman, you know, that the Pirates, if, if they're going to be smart about it, the way they go about it, I don't think you're going to go out and compete for the, the top tier free agents. But I think if the Pirates are, go about it the way they did last year, where they signed Rich Hill for $8 million and Vince Velasquez for $3 million, Harleen Garcia for a little less than $3 million, and then uh, Santana, I think, was six point seven two five and Kutch at $5 million. You've had a few pieces there that could be valuable to this team, but they don't have nearly as many holes going into next season as they did this year. Are they really going to consider bringing back Santana? I, I think the door is open there. I, I, I think the one development that we've seen, and I don't think the Pirates are banking on this, but I think the one thing that has helped it is that Jared Triolo has, has been outstanding over the last month, or the last few weeks at least. Um, 
And uh, I mean, he's been absolutely outstanding for the last, you know, I think 10 to 12 days. But um, he can play first base, and I, and I think that's maybe you know maybe that's the position that keeps him in the major leagues. And now that he's showing that he can hit for extra bases, which was the concern, that he's got some pop in his bat. But Santana seems open to it. The Pirates, uh, you know, really really liked having him around. I think they they traded him more for the idea that one, um, you know, they were out of the playoff race, and it gave him a chance to be in the playoff race with the Brewers. And two, it saved them a little bit of money. And then, you know, the, the idea was that, that maybe they could get a prospect out of it, which they did. They got a teenage Dominican player who's got a lot of potential, you know. So basically they took the chance on the lottery ticket there with the hope that maybe Santana would sign back again. So, you know, that that's a possibility. It's not one that you see happen too often where a team trades a guy and then signs him again in free agency. But, but I think the door has certainly been left open on that one. Reynolds and Hayes got off to those choppy starts kind of up and down seasons for them at the plate and they've been better in the latter stages of the year at least uh, Hayes specifically what do they have to do to regain consistency and and you mentioned coaching changes we keep hearing Andy Haynes is going to be back as the hitting coach Um, is that the right thing to do yeah I mean I, I think you know for for all of the concerns that you have with maybe Reynolds and Hayes you have to take into consideration what Andy Haynes has done with some of the other guys. Triolo being one, they just, you know, they, they adjusted his stance a little bit, made him a little more upright. And now you're seeing him unlock some power potential for a guy 6'3, 210. has now been on a tear. Uh, Sawinski went through his struggles, but they kind of unlocked some things there with him. And, and, and Andy Haynes does a lot of the behind the scenes work. And I think, you know, people tend to blame the player's performance on the coach who's their position coach. Uh, as we can see sometimes with the Steelers and their offensive coordinator, um, you know, the, 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 the difference is in the Steelers, he's calling the plays. Andy Haynes is basically just trying to give these guys some feedback on what he sees and have them work on some things. He's not out there, you know, telling them what, you know, what to do at the plate when, when they're at the plate. I mean, he's basically trying to get them prepared for it. Um, I th- so I think what you're telling me is I can't blame Andy Haynes for the third and one read option against the Browns then. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially uh, if they run the toss sweep. Who, 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 that the, was jet, a, the jet that sweep. Was a, that, was a, that was a very different uh, a fourth and was it a fourth and one to toss sweep uh, to the to the right side in the playoff game. That was a different offensive coordinator who took the brunt of that one. But um no, but, but I, I yeah. do I do look forward to the jet sweeps with Livero Piguero. I, I think that'll be fantastic. <laughs> Let's incorporate that. If there's someone that I want to run it with, he'd be he'd be in the top uh, the top <laughs> five there. He, he, he's certainly capable. Yeah, he's got he's got a little bit of that. He's got some Calvin Austin in him. Yeah, I see it. I see it. Yeah. Um, you know, the pitching coach is, is going to be a position the Pirates. If, if there's somebody that's going to be a sacrificial lamb, it could be the pitching coach. You know that that's. That's the one rumbling that I've heard is that, you know, there, there's some concern there because of, you know, some of the injuries that they've had and, and because of some of the young guys uh, like Ronzi Contreras and, and Luis Ortiz, who seem to take a step backward, although Ortiz seems to be figuring some things out and could be putting himself in position for a spot in the rotation next year. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of wholesale changes. I think it's hard to find try to find scapegoats when you've made a 13 to whatever 15 game improvement, whatever it's going to end up being it's kind of hard to say, okay, we need to change everything up here now. It's like, it seems like the Pirates are trending in the right direction, but I think people look at it and say, well, based on what they did in April, you know, this team disappointed people. I think April was much more of just a surprise that they performed as well as they did. And if anybody probably deserves credit for how April went, 
it would be the pitching coach because they delivered 18 quality starts in the first 28 games before the injuries took place. So, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you can, you can certainly, you know, find things that you can find fault with Oscar Marine and, and his philosophy and everything, but you can also find guys that you say, okay, well, you know, Mitch Keller had a career year. Uh, David Bednar's had a career year. You know, some of their best guys performed at a level that they've never performed before. Do you, do you, give him credit for that or do you fault him for that i don't i don't expect to see many changes uh if if you do see some it's going to be you know some tinkering more so than like major changes on the staff because i think Derek shelton has finally got the staff to where he wants it these are the guys and he's very close with oscar marine so um but you know he's also a guy who i think might be going into the final year of his contract you know we, we don't really know the term you know the term of his contract extension that he got this year so we don't know if it was just a year beyond this one or, or anything more than that. The Pirates have not revealed that. So, you know, but, but I think everybody's going to be kind of on the hot seat next year in terms of let's see what this team can do because this is when the Pirates are expected to make the big step forward is in 2024. And I think 2025 through 2028, this is a team that's expected to be a contender. And the Pirates have talked of world championships. Uh, we'll see if they can just make the playoffs. I, yeah, I think get to 500 first, and then we'll steps. go from there. Exactly. Um, Kevin Gorman with his final two points, the Pirates, Kevin. And that is uh, one what takes place between now and opening day with Andy Rodriguez and Henry Davis? Where do we see those two guys since they've been linked together for so long? And uh, the second thing is to the rotation. You mentioned maybe Ortiz. So if we consider maybe Ortiz is the fifth guy and then um, Oviedo and Keller as two and one, who are three and four? And if you want to say TBA for at least one or two of them, then that's fine. Maybe it's both TBA, but you tell me. Then who's three and four in the rotation? Well, I think that's the spots that you probably are going to try to address in free agency uh, like they did this past year when you when you brought in Velasquez and Hill. Um, but if, if you were going to do it internally, you know, you would say, you know, I'd, I'd have Ortiz right now ahead of Quinn Priester. So if I was going to stay internally, I'd say Ortiz might be number four and Quinn Priester might be number five. Um, then, then you have to figure out, you know, whether some of these guys, um, are starters or relievers. And, and that's, that's one thing to factor. I don't know that Bailey Falter or Andre Jackson has done enough to establish themselves as guys that are going to be in consideration for the rotation. Um, but there is one guy that it's a possibility we could see him this weekend, given that the pirates have said that when, uh, that, uh, Keller is not going to pitch Sunday which would have been his scheduled start. Oviedo is now done for the season after his last start. I'm kind of curious to see if Jared Jones, who's had an outstanding season uh, at AA and AAA, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see if he's a guy that could be one of the pieces of the puzzle. And I'd hate to project a rookie into the number three spot. You know, it may, it may be more that Ortiz is three, Priesters four, and Jared Jones, but that's the guy that I want to see. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if the Pirates brought him up for a spot start here the way that they did Contreras a couple years ago and let him pitch in the majors and make his debut in a very, you know, it, it, it's a kind of a non-pressure situation for the Pirates in terms of the, the playoff. They've already been eliminated from the playoffs. So, um, but, you know, you could be playing against a team that's fighting for a wild card spot and that can make it a more of a pressure situation. Could be a guy who is, you know, doing it um, on the last game of the season or if the fireworks night. So it could may add a little bit of element there of some uh, of some extra pressure but that's the guy that i'm keeping an eye on is, is that the pirates seem to be very high on jared jones 
who was a second round pick out of high school. He's only 22 years old, but he he's the one who I think is probably their leading candidate to be their minor league pitcher of the year this year. And, and so that's one I would imagine the Pirates are projecting. I don't know if he would start the season with them, but I think if he finishes the year that he's got a chance to fight for a spot in the rotation and, uh, you know, and maybe make a spot on the opening day roster. And how about the catchers? And as I, and far I use, as that, I use that term goes, loosely, I guess. <laughs> yeah, as far as Davis goes, I don't know how much catching is in his future at this point. I mean, I, I think this is the, – the Pirates have certainly put that on the back burner. When he went to Indianapolis for his rehab assignment, catching wasn't part of the plan. They were trying to get his bat back in the lineup. I mean, this is a guy who's hitting 220. He does have 10 doubles and I think seven home runs. He does have some power potential there. Um, but I don't know that Henry Davis has done enough right now to merit the spot that, for one, that you bet put him in as your backup catcher. You know, I, I don't think we've seen enough from him. Um, I don't think he was good enough in the minors, and I don't, I don't think he's played enough in the majors that you can just basically say, oh, he's going to be our backup catcher. And I think Jason DeLay has done a very good job as the backup, and it seems like guys like Keller really like pitching to him, Keller in particular. I think Andy Rodriguez is clearly the catcher of the future, but you know they need to find some more consistency. What I see with Rodriguez is kind of the opposite of Austin Hedges, where Hedges had the value in the game calling, the receiving, the framing. He was basically out there stealing strikes for the Pirates, which was very underrated and a lot of people didn't appreciate, but the pitchers certainly did. I mean, Mitch Keller gave him a lot of credit for making the All-Star game. He said, you know, Austin Hedges had a lot to do with it, but his bat didn't carry, you know, didn't really make up for everything. And, you know, to have a catcher with a sub 200 batting average who was almost a sure out for a good portion of the season was detrimental. Andy Rodriguez has a good bat, but, you know, the, the Pirates have focused so much on his defense that his offense has suffered as a result. And I also think that, you know, some of these guys were rushed up here because the Pirates wanted to find out what they had before they had to turn to them next season because they want to be in contention. I think they looked at it, it was like, hey, let's get these guys up here and get them some experience and find out what we have and whether, you know, whether we know what to do going into the offseason. I think Andy Rodriguez is an upgrade in terms of his arm. He's been outstanding throwing out base runners. And I think we see signs of improvement behind the plate with every game. So, you know, I, I think that's your catcher. I, I think if the Pirates are smart, they go into the offseason with the plans of having Rodriguez as the starter, uh, delay as the backup, and Henry Davis as a guy who can play right field, maybe serve some time as a designated hitter, and keep, continue working on behind the scenes as a catcher so that he could be your kind of emergency catcher, which given where we were a year ago with uh, the Pirates having to use Josh Van Meter behind the plate, which was an epic disaster, um, you know, to have a guy who came up as a catcher be your third catcher or emergency catcher puts you in a situation where if anything disastrous happens, you have some confidence that the guy behind the plate knows what he's doing, even if he's maybe not at major league level in terms of his defense. Only got about 30 seconds here, Kevin. Have you ever seen a manager try to fight a grounds crew guy before? And and what are we expecting from the Marlins this weekend? Because I'm sure they don't want to go back to New York to play half an inning. No, I mean, and that's where you start to appreciate the Pirates grounds crew. Tim, a, a running joke in the press box is every, uh, every game the Pirates announce, say, let's give a hand to the FedEx grounds crew, and we all stand up and clap because we know we're the only ones in the whole stadium doing it. So it's kind of a running joke, but I think the Marlins – should appreciate that the Pirates are going to have this field probably in impeccable condition. And and I think it would be, I think if, you know, if somebody's looking for a fight, it might be David Ross. Cause imagine if the Pirates play just bad enough, they're just, if they're just bad enough of a team to lose to the Marlins 
going to allow the Marlins to clinch a playoff spot at the Cubs' expense. <laughs> yeah, seek out David Ross for a quote on that one. All right, Kev, that thanks. poetic justice. We'll catch up with you again next year as we get set for spring training down in Bradenton. And enjoy the off time, and we'll maybe do some hot stove as well. All right, Tim, thanks for having me. All right, Kevin Gorman, our beat writer who covers the Pirates here at Trib Live. This is our final baseball podcast for the year at Breakfast with Ben's, brought to you by the Fans First Network.